0: Good morning, everyone. Junior Church, you are dismissed to walk. Um, just want to give everybody an announcement. The, the Wi-Fi has no signal over here. There is no internet in this building. Uh, we're having some technical problems and we can't really figure that out. So if you're trying to connect with the U version, um, turn off the Wi-Fi so that you can use your normal data signal. We are continuing our crawl through the book of Acts this morning. And our theme for this year is... Anybody? Hey, good. Destination. That's right. After a lot of prayer, uh, the elders and I chose to preach through the book of Acts this year because it coincides with the theme and the emphasis for us corporately and individually. That we would individually, corporately be focused on our destination, that we would increase the degrees of our attention and focus, become more of a church that's moving towards a destination, towards the mission of the church. That we wouldn't be a church that just gives a casual nod to different missions and ministries here and abroad, but we would be a congregation that's thrust into the global activity of taking the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to those who have never heard it. So let me give you a recap of where we've been so far. The book of Acts begins with the resurrected Jesus um, still being on earth, and for 40 days he starts meeting and uh, meeting with his disciples. He gives them instructions about what the kingdom of God is going to be like. He reminds them in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5 of the promise that he's going to send to them the Holy Spirit who would not just be with them but would be in them. And that's a very key difference than anything before in Scripture. Then in Acts one eight, he gave them the reason why he is sending the Spirit. Here's what it says. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All of us should be tremendously thankful for this verse right here. So uh, real quick, I want to ask. If you're a Christian, raise your hand. Okay, keep it up, keep it up if you're a Christian. How many of you were saved in Jerusalem? In in the actual city of Jerusalem. Yeah, sarcasm back there. Thanks a lot. How many were in Judea, just in the little surroundings of Judea? Nobody. Oh, Five, Samaria. So if you look at this verse right here, Jerusalem, none of us apply. Judea. None of us were there. Samaria, that means we are the ends of the earth. It is unanimous. All of us here are the end of the earth. The circle of the mandate of the scripture going out, starting in Jerusalem, going out from there. We would not be here. We would not be, this church would not be here. Our culture wouldn't be here if it weren't for this verse. If people didn't take this verse seriously, and honestly, I am so glad they did. I am so glad that those early Christians said, This is what we must do. The purpose of sending, of Jesus, sending the Holy Spirit to empower us was not to give us warm fuzzies. If you need a warm fuzzy, go get a blanket. Okay? That's not what the Holy Spirit is. It's not for emotional or ecstatic experiences. It's not so you could feel good about yourself. The primary purpose of sending the Holy Spirit is very clear from that text. Go and be a witness of what Jesus is and has done. That's why we received it in power, to be a faithful witness. It's complete, total, outward focus, not inward. Many churches carrying the name of Christ can seek into the mindset that church is about us. That our life together as a congregation is all about getting my needs met, my spiritual itches scratched. And I think when we fall into that, it's heartbreaking to the Savior. I was reading a blog this week by Tom Rainer. Dr. Rayner is the president of Lifeway Christian Resources, and the blog was called The Main Reason People Leave the Church. And it's a few years old article, but I think it's incredibly relevant. Here's what he said. All the research studies of which I'm aware, including my own, return to one major theme to explain the exodus of church members. A sense of some need not being filled. In other words, these members have the idea what a local congregation should provide for them, and they leave because these provisions have not been met. He goes on to describe the rest of the mindset of these people, and he called it country club mindset. I pay my dues, I put the tithes in, and the country club needs to fill my needs. I expect certain benefits associated since I've paid my dues. And generally, people approach their involvement with a church based on what they can get, not what they can give. And that's the tr- the point I'm trying to make here is the purpose for Jesus sending the Holy Spirit is to empower us to take the gospel, to take the message out. Not to argue over music styles. Not to argue over design or pews or chairs or steeples or... Not to argue about any of that stuff, but to dream of how we can be a church on mission for Jesus. That's what the purpose is. So in our story, as the story continues in Acts, after giving them these final instructions, Jesus ascends into the heavens. A disciple is waiting Uh, The disciples are waiting on that promise for the Holy Spirit. And then when you came to Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit falls into power in a multi-sensory way. Uh, All those present, they hear this mighty works of God. There's this rushing wind. They can hear their their, um, own languages being spoken. They can see these flaming tongues on these general untrained Galileans. And right there on Pentecost, on the festival of harvest, the festival of first fruits... The church experienced the first fruit of the gospel message. And it birthed the church and 3,000 souls were saved. With those 3,000 new baby Christians and the 120 who were gathered there, um, the first church, here's what we saw last week. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread into prayer. These four ideas marked their life together, and we looked at that last week. We actually focused on verse 46. They they linked all their resources together. They met together. They ate together. They kept going. That's what the life of the first church looked like. And now we get to verse, or chapter 3. Luke presents to us an incredible episode that takes the process of the normal church life, and it is now the church moving. The infant church has now got traction and is moving. The Acts 2.42, Life Together Church, is now reaching new people. They lived life. They went out. And as they did, they went to, uh, we're going to read Peter and John do something. They go to Solomon's portico, and they worship together, and then God does something. Let's start in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon. One afternoon, it doesn't mean Sunday morning. one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them, eagerly expecting some money. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. They're going through these same things that they've gone through all their life to worship and pray. And on their way, they encounter this lame man. These people bring him in because he can't walk. They lay him at this gate so he can have the job of begging for money. And Jesus, or Peter, is there and he sees this man. He says, look at us. Now, what do we know about this beggar? Here's, here's what we know about this beggar from this chapter and actually in chapter 4. He's over 40 years old. We're going to learn that next week or next chapter. He's been lame from birth. It just said that. This means he's not faking an injury. He's not um, workman's comp. This isn't some guy who's out there on the street that, you know, they have the TV shows that go follow him and he gets in a car and goes to a nice big home after all day of begging and panhandling. This is a real disability and birth defect. We know it affected both his feet and both ankles. Luke, the author here, he's a doctor physician, and he uses those words. He uses the Greek anatomical language here to identify feet and ankles. Um, we know he lay daily at the same location, location here of the gate called beautiful. This would have been a prime spot for begging. Masses of people would be entering the temple through these gates to gather, and they'd go by multiple times, Jewish culture and in Jewish scriptures. As you would go in, you would kind of expect it to give alms or some coins to the poor there. He's not holding a sign will work for food. He can't work. There's no public assistance or government disability program. He is fully dependent on what the believers, the Jewish believers, would give him. He's probably been begging there a long time, not days, weeks, or months, but years. He's over 40, he's been lame his whole life. There's a good chance Peter and John have walked by this same man multiple times. There's a good chance Jesus walked by this man years ago. This tells me something that I think we really need to hear. Sometimes Jesus provides healing, and yet sometimes he doesn't. It's up to his sovereign discretion and wisdom. Perhaps Jesus saw the man and walked on, and he thought, not yet, but it is coming. He knew he was reserving this healing for a very special moment so that the church could grow even more. God may not give us what we want when we want it. He always gives us what we need when we need it. Anyway, as this man is lying there, he sees Peter and John. He targets them. It says verse 3, he sees them about to go to the temple, and he begs for money. And Peter and John, look at me. Now, if, if they come and say, look at me, I, I'm just thinking, putting myself into this lame man here. It's like, I've got it. Okay, I'm going to get some money. Hey, can you give me some money? Look at me. Yes. Put it in. I've got one. He's ready. He's going to get some cash. Look what it says in verse 6. Peter says, Look at us. And then he says, I don't have any silver or gold for you. Why am I looking at you then? Why did you grab my attention if you have no money for me? But he says, But I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Can you imagine the confused look? Can I have some money? Can you help me, please? Look at us. Yes. I don't have any money. You distracted me. I missed two people. There's this, all this confusion. And then he says, "What I, I don't have money, but I'll give you what I do have. Peter does something totally different here. He tells him in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then verse 7, look what it says. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and... Helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles, this is where we get those Greek words so we know it's actual feet and ankles, were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God. He went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's Colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Why did all the people run together into this area of the temple? Because they'd seen this lame man. They'd seen him crippled from birth, begging many times. They'd walked by him every day, and now... He's jumping, he's leaping around, he's shouting hallelujahs. He's doing this to God because he has been healed. These people want to know what has happened. In the first part of chapter 3, we can learn some things about Peter and John and how they interacted with unbelievers, how they interacted with people. First, you can't give what you don't possess. They were ask, this guy was asking for money, and Peter and John said, I don't have any. Maybe Peter's a father of a teenager. That's why he has no money. We know he's married, so his, his money's going somewhere. But he said, I don't have this. You cannot give what you don't possess. But he was willing to give what he had. Regardless of your, my social status. If you've got Jesus, if you are in his faith, if you're in his family, if you are in his kingdom, you are spiritually rich. And Jesus is calling us us, as his church to give. Maybe not give money away, but to give him, to give his message away. And here's a really cool thing. The more you give Jesus away, The more you get. The more you keep pouring out his message, the more you pour out his love, the more you pour out his characteristics, the more he pours into you. Another lesson we can learn from here, real change comes from the power of Jesus. Real, lasting, eternal, transformational change only happens by the power of Jesus. Later on in this chapter, will be uh, the next sermon, Acts 3.16. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. It wasn't him. And you know how he was crippled from before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. I don't have time to break down the Greek construction of this sentence to, to really show you this. Because I, I had some fun doing this. But let me say, everything points, everything hinges on the name Jesus. That's it. Where did the power come from? Jesus. Where did the faith come from? Jesus. Where did the healing come from? It all points and hinges on Jesus. But but whose faith was it? It wasn't the faith of the beggar. This beggar just wanted money. Peter said, I will give you what I do have. I have Jesus in me. The faith was in Peter and John. I want you to think about the people that you think are too far gone spiritually. They're so far away from surrendering to Jesus. that it's going to take a miracle. I've got some in my life. I know some of you do. But what's it going to take? Pray for them. I keep hoping for them. I want to intervene in Manipulate so that it can slam them into Jesus. But their faith in him is so far away. And so I have to ask these questions to myself, and I want to answer I want you to answer them. Do you and I, do you believe Jesus has power? Answer. Do you truly believe? Do you believe that Jesus can restore people? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to save them? And why are we in the way? It's not my job to save them. It's not your job. It's God's job. Let me be real honest with you for a second. There are times and sometimes seasons... It's being your pastor that I have a sense of fear, worry, or anxiety. Sometimes the weight of the responsibility I feel on my shoulders just wears me down and pulls me down. I think about the seven full and part-time employees here at the church and their livelihood depends on this church. We desperately need to look at a new building. But how are we going to do that? Even though our numbers are continuing to grow even now, How are we going to do that in this culture and climates? How can we be content and comfortable like this when we know there are more people who need the power, they need the knowledge, they need the salvation of Jesus? Maybe we should just be content and and not venture out or take risks. I mean, if the economy tanks, what if people leave the church because of this? What if the new policies that are made make it harder and harder to, to meet together? What if... What if people don't want to come because I do speak so bluntly? What if? What if people don't want to come because there's something in the sound system, the internet, or or the screen was off? What if? What if people don't grow in their faith but only go through the motions? What if? What if I let fear and anxiety fall on me? When I have those moments of fear and anxiety, when I feel the weight of all that's going on, it is so much to bear. The Spirit brings back something that I've heard and known and even taught. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, and Jesus said to them, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my weight. Take my um, responsibility and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Don't give what's not yours. Take his yoke, his calling, and then let that go out. Because then he can put more in and through you. In those moments when I feel... and. I just had one this week again where I was like, ugh. Jesus gives me a gift. It's a gift of faith. He gives me faith to press on. He gives me faith to trust him. He gives me the faith to realize that this is his church, not mine. It's his name, his glory, his reputation that's on the line. Not mine, not yours. And do you know why his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Because he's the one doing all the heavy lifting. When they would put a yoke on to oxen, they would put a seasoned one, one who knew and had the strength. And then they'd put a newbie, a rookie, a weak little bull with him. And the big one would carry all the weight and train the little one. And Jesus is saying, I am that strength. I am that knowledge. Join next to me. I will carry the burden. I will carry the weight. You can come along for the ride and see what I give you. The yoke is a harness that two of them are together. Jesus is doing the work. He gives you the faith to keep moving forward because he's carrying the load. The last lesson I see in this miracle is real change results in praise. I really like this man's reaction. We don't see a lot of this in the church today because we're all dignified. We think so. Look what it says, Acts 3.8. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. There's an exclamation. That means this is emphatic. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. How many of you came into church skipping and jumping? I saw three kids doing it. No adults did it. Why are we? Oh, I thought Dustin was gonna get up and skip. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask if you had just been healed from 40 years of not being able to walk. Wouldn't you be jumping around like a crazy person? I, I went through that back problem a year and a half ago and had surgery and I remember sitting on the couch And I looked at Casey, I said, I can feel my toes again. You know, I didn't just stare at them, I started moving them, and then I started putting them on the floor, and I got up. I can feel, I can feel them, and this is a good feeling. When we experience something joyful, we don't want to keep that quiet. This man had just been healed from a lifelong physical birth defect. When we realize the change that comes from the power of Jesus to heal us of a lifelong spiritual birth defect of sin, that transformation will always result in exuberant praise. When we experience a real transformation, it changes us and we have no choice but to praise God for it. Look says in Acts 3, verse 9. And all the people saw him and heard him praising God. That means he wasn't quiet. They heard him from the other side of the temple. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed in amazement. Rushed. They ran in church. They rushed out in amazement to Solomon's Colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. A crowd gathers at this. This work of Jesus has attracted people's attention. And Peter doesn't let this opportunity slip away. All these people gathered, give him a good excuse to preach. That's my favorite part of this whole thing, which is next week, just so you know. But he was excited. He saw this. And he took the opportunity not to say, hey, let's have a potluck. He didn't take the opportunity to say, yeah, come in and let's go experience some great worship. He took the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. What brought the people? What actually brought the people to come here, Peter? What was it that caused them to rush into amazement? They saw a transformed life. They heard a faith-filled person. They heard somebody who was once a beggar now shouting hallelujah. One man who had no money offered something so much better. See, in the beginning of Acts 2, there was a miraculous event. The Spirit came down, there was a rushing wind, and people came, what's going on? There's this uh, amazing sound, and we got to come here. And Peter preached the message about Jesus. And here there's this, what is this amazing sound, a miraculous event? There's somebody who should not be walking, praising God. The people come in here, and they hear about Jesus. People respond to the message of Christ the same way today, for all the same reasons. When they see a transformed life within us, when they hear our faith filled conversations, then they're ready to hear about Jesus. How many of us have experienced that transformational life? That one that it is totally different now. I, I, I am a Christian, but I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect up here. I think I'm pretty good, but I'm nowhere near perfect. But I can talk to you about the perfect One who keeps transforming my life, and as I grow closer to Him, I I do get excited. As I was breaking down some of this Greek, I was like, this is so cool. Because when we start being filled with him, i got to tell you, I-, I can't help it. You should be lucky you're not Casey. She gets to hear my sermons three times a week because I can't stop talking about him. That's how the first church started doing it. When the people, all of them started living together and taking their faith, taking their lives, taking their message out. And they lived it. The church was on the move is one that is living a transformed life. That's what the church is. A church on the move is one that takes, that is living a transformed life and taking on or sharing a faith filled message. Look at that. They're living a transformed life and sharing a faith-filled message. So I have a question for you. Are you ready to be the church? Are you ready and willing to be the church on the move? That's going to take this faith in Jesus, this transformational knowledge, that I can be something so much more than I could ever be on my own. That we, together with all of our differences, all of our baggage can actually come together in unity and show the world, you know what? All the problems that separate, all the divisions that are out there are not here because we have Christ. All the things that tear you down actually are not here because we lay them down at the foot of the cross and he fills us and unites us because it's a transformational life that brings us with a faith-filled message. not you ready to do that. You're ready to be that tidal wave of faith that rolls over this dark world and brings about life, light, and love. Are you ready to be the church on earth? If you need to talk about that, if you want to get together and pray about those issues, we have people ready and willing. We'll have elders meet with you and me in the back room and we'll start going to God right now because of that transformational power does not has come here. It comes into you and leaves with you. I don't have any money to give you. I have two teenagers. But I do know Jesus. And I know many of you do too. So let's stand. Let's go back into worship and let us tell the world about the transformational message of Jesus.